Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes, 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 yes. For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Welcome back to WrestleRant Radio here today for Thursday, March 9, 2023. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well, having a great week so far. Big guest on WrestleRant Radio here today for the first time ever. We got WWE Hall of Famer and the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, the Big Red Monster himself, Kane, talking about his upcoming episode of WWE Legends Biography on A&E airing this weekend. So I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to the chat as well. Uh, Kane was awesome when we spoke the other day, so hope you guys will enjoy the chat as much as I did. On the back end of that, talking to Mr. Marceau, all things Revolution, Puerto Rico hosting Backlash in May. We got the departure of an NXT star and a Raw review, an on-site report from Mr. Marceau himself from Monday in Boston, including the Burial of Austin Theory by John Cena. A lot of thoughts on that. New episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday on WrestleRant.com, WrestleRantRadio.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Pandora, and Amazon Music. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. Never miss a new episode every single Thursday. With all that being said, enjoy my exclusive interview with the big red monster himself, Glenn Jacobs, better known as Kane. All right, Graham G. S. Matthews from Fanside at DailyDDT.com and ahead of the upcoming episode, WWE Legends Biography on A&E. We're talking to the subject himself, WWE Hall of Famer and Mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, Glenn Jacobs, Kane. Kane, what's going on, my man? Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate that. Hey, Graham, I appreciate you. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. We've had a lot of great episodes of this WWE Legends biography series on A&E. Very happy to see you're going to be selected as part of it and your career spotlighted. Uh, we've you know, obviously seen a lot of you in recent years in the politics realm, in WWE, inducted to the Hall of Fame just a couple of years ago. Uh, can you talk about why this is the right time? And we've also had a book on you as well, released a couple of years ago, written by <laughs> yourself. Talk about like why this is the right time, you feel like, to have a documentary spotlighting your career released. Well, during the Attitude Era, the internet was still an infant, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, there there wasn't like now where people could peek behind the curtain and see what's going on and see Kane as a real person or uh, look and you know see these storylines and what really happened and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I think it's it's really cool for the fans to be able to do that now. Um, on one hand. Frankly, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of some of the stuff that we see on the internet and the spoilers and, you know, all that sort of stuff, because it, it just spoils the, you know, the show in many cases. But nevertheless, it is cool to go back and be able to see, OK, what really happened and what was this person's thoughts on that? You know, so-and-so saying this. Uh, and, and it's funny. I see that a lot. You know, so-and-so says this. I was like, well, yeah, I was there. That's not what happened. This is what happened. But and it's cool to be able to actually tell that story. And I think the fans enjoy it because they get to the answers to the questions that they've had for, in my case, almost 30 years, uh, and, and they get to see them. And I think that's just really cool. Yeah, no, just you talk about the, like the internet as well and the fact that that plays and how much that's grown in the last 30 years since you start out your career. 
Is that part of it as well? Like with the mystique of the Kane character, when you first start out in the late nineties and 97, I mean, there were still like dirt sheets, so to speak back then with like stuff sure. like that. So that stuff was sort of around even back then, but it wasn't at the height as it is now with the right. internet. Do you feel like with that sort of stuff, it kind of takes away from the magic of like a Kane character in 2023 and why that sort of period can't be sure. replicated? Yeah, I do. And again, that's just the change you know, that we all have to, um, that we all have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some really good things too. And I think WWE does a very good job, especially on social media. You see uh, the entertainers, performers in the company itself, uh, you know, being able to utilize social media in a way that really strengthens the bond with the audience, which is what you're trying to do with anything. Uh, but I think that we did have an advantage because you didn't have all that stuff back then. You know, so Kane was a mystery because unless you really wanted to dig and take some time into, you know, finding out who Kane was and who's this guy named Glenn Jacobs and all this, uh, you know, it, it wasn't just there with at the, your fingertips at the stroke of a keyboard, right? Um, so in that way, I, I think I was really fortunate uh, to experience that in my career um, because I think that was a much, a much purer form of entertainment than what we might have now where, mm-hmm. you know, so-and-so knows that this is, you know, these guys are really buddies backstage and all that or whatever, uh, you know, and you could actually, you know, this business is a lot like magic, right? And you have the wires and the trick is to not, not let the audience see the wires so you can suspend their disbelief. Everybody knows this entertainment, but you don't want to, while you're in the moment, believe that it's entertainment. You want to believe that it is real. And I, I think that we were able to do that because, um, you know, the, the folks just couldn't, like I said, just couldn't Google something and get the answer to it. It just took a lot more effort to build. Yeah. I mean, you talk about that as far as like the Kane character today, let's say it happened in 2023. I think it's at least with me, I think in my opinion, I think it's possible. I think, but like you said though, it's a lot more difficult with social yeah. media the internet and yeah. stuff like that. So would you agree as far as like if the Kane and Taker were still at his like prime right now and it's, you just take that same exact story, everything happens the exact same way, maybe a little bit different. Like his times are different and I don't know if you can do the exact same stuff, but you know, everything kind of from that feud, you supplement it in 2023. Do you think it would still work or just not work to the same extent as it did in the late nineties? It, it, it could still work. Uh, it, it would have to be done differently yep. uh, because Kane would have to talk smack to the undertaker on Twitter, which would be very strange, <laughs> uh, but, but nevertheless, it, it could because it's a timeless story. And ultimately this story is about two brothers who get along sometimes and don't get along sometimes. Uh, and the rest is really just bells and whistles. I mean, the story was amazing because I, I think it was uh, really mythological storytelling i mean you had these characters and they had uh stories behind them uh, you know most characters in wwe are that person or uh part of that person part of the personality trait in mm-hmm. many cases turned up to an 11 uh kane and undertaker were true characters right i mean they were they were not just dudes that were you know this this is me but you know uh i i turned my personality up on tv i mean they they were different characters than Mark Calloway and Glenn Jacobs are in real life. Uh, and ultimately, I, I think that was that was what attracted people to it because everybody can relate to sibling rivalry. And this was sibling rivalry just done on an epic scale. Yeah, I mean, especially with one of the biggest names in the business at that point, The Undertaker. You know, you come in right away, put in a program with one of the biggest stars in WWE at that point. And not only that, because we've seen that a lot in the last 25, 30 years. Prior to that program, since then, where 
someone kind of gets shoved into a place of prominence and it either doesn't work out or they stay at that level. And you're among those elite few, I think, that stayed at that elite level for the remainder of your time in the ring for the next 25 years. And in addition to not being hurt as well, you didn't suffer many injuries, which also helped your case a lot. Uh, do you kind of attest to your longevity to that as far as, I mean, what else? I mean, in addition to the lack of injuries, what do you attest your longevity to in the wrestling ring over the last 25 years? I just showed up every day, worked hard. <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, and I was also, I, I wasn't selfish. Uh, you know, sometimes people were like, well, you know, why is Kane putting this person over? Well, the reason is because it's good for the company. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and you know, you always need new people coming along. And in the end, you know, I, I stayed there for a long time uh, because of that, because yeah. I think I understood that it wasn't about me. It was about the success of the company. If the company's successful, I was going to be successful. Um, so, but, but there's no secret, man. It's just, it's just working hard and showing up. And <laughs> that's most of the battle. It's most of the battle and everything. Yeah, no, it is. And you did that a lot, especially in that like 2000s period after you unmasked. There's a long period where you're helping to elevate and put over a lot of different people, like you said, showing up to work, doing what was best for the business, regardless of who you're in a program with. Um, you did that each and every time. Was there a point where you feel like in your career, obviously, the Undertaker feud was a big part of this. But even after that, because it's not only the feud itself, but like the aftermath that I think really establishes you as one of the greats. And at that bulletproof point where you could lose to practically anyone and you're still Kane and people still love you. Do you feel like there was a point that really cemented you at that? level aside from the taker stuff man um i don't know if i can uh point to a single uh incident event or incident or sure. point in time but yeah there was and i remember someone telling me and i was a little frustrated it's like ah you know is uh I'm, I'm doing this and you know why am i not here yeah. and then someone told me it's like dude it doesn't matter. It's like, all you have to do is just turn the switch, go out, you know, blow the pyro and choke slam somebody. And Kane is right back, you know, <laughs> right back there at the top. And, and, and that's true. I, th I think once you have that legacy, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. Um, and then the nice part about that is though, you know, then you can help um, other folks uh, elevate themselves. And, yeah. you know, that's actually one of the things that brought me the most uh, satisfaction is now, you know, towards the end of my career, I'm working with people like Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, and these others. And now you look at them and, and they're huge superstars and they're the people carrying the company. And I'd like to think part of it is, you know, early on in their run with WWE, uh, me and other folks like me were willing to, to help them along and to get them up to our level. And now probably exceeding that in some cases. Yeah. <laughs> And you did that in many cases. Like you said, you worked with a lot of different people over the course of your run from the beginning with Undertaker and that Attitude Era gang up until the early 2010s, the mid 2010s with people like you said, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, pretty much every crop of characters at every generation in time. You mentioned Roman Reigns and the one memory that I remember of you two specifically, I think a lot of people would attest to this, the Royal Rumble in 2015 and like people still talk about it all these years later and the fan reaction and stuff like that. Your role in it, helping to elevate Roman Reigns, the fan reaction, not really being what it was. Can you remember if, or can you take me through if you remember in that moment, what was going through your mind when you and Big Show are eliminating the entire field? Roman has to go over. People aren't taking to Roman the way that I guess people expected to. Can you take me through that night a little bit? Yeah, it was, and, and it was interesting too because uh, the initial concept was a little different than that, and uh, it, it changed because yeah. it was, you know, just one of those deals where there was there was a lot more showbiz involved, and we all just felt like we, you know, it'd be better if it was 
wrestling as opposed to, you know, a lot of the bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here's the thing, man. And it was the same. And remember, um, like with rock and, you know, he, he first starts and people hated him yeah. uh, and, you know, and then eventually you see, I mean, you know, he's this huge superstar. It was the same with Rome. You know, um, you could tell that at some point because of his talent, because of his charisma, uh, that was all going to change. And, and it has now, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to get there. And sometimes getting there is a little uncomfortable because, you know, why, why are we doing this right now? And it's not working out like we would want it to. Well, that's like kind of instant gratification. And you have to understand that you're planting seeds for something on down the line. Mm-hmm. Um and I was always okay with that. Uh, you know, at, at times it would, it would get a little frustrating. It's like, man, that's not the reaction we wanted. But I think <laughs> now we can look back and say, yeah, it kind of worked out like we wanted it to, right? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer in certain cases, but it eventually we get to the point where we want to get to, regardless of how long it takes. And you know, like you said, that kind of goes for anything. Um, but that was around the same point, 2014, 2015, you're winding down your in-ring career. Obviously, as we mentioned earlier, elected as the mayor of uh, Knox County, Tennessee, and doing your thing now. And you're one of the elite people to have that distinction of being successful, both in wrestling and politics, having two very successful careers in two very different realms um, let's say in an alternate universe, you aren't elected and when you are in the late 2010s, do you still continue wrestling? Like, what does that avenue look like? Was it still pursuing politics regardless? I don't know. <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I, I, yeah, I assume I probably would have done something with WWE, whether it's in ring mm-hmm. or behind the scenes and probably a combination of both, actually. Um uh, I've had the two greatest jobs anyone could ever want, man. I've been a WWE superstar and mayor of my hometown. Uh, so I, I'm incredibly fortunate. Uh, and, and, you know, even if I hadn't been elected, uh, you know, again, yeah, uh, I could always, in, in WWE, um, you know, I'd have been okay, for sure. Uh, and it just would have been a matter of figuring out at that point you know, how I could contribute to the company. Uh and, and, and what would be the best way to do that? Uh, but yeah, I, I would have carried on in some capacity. I don't think I would have, I probably wouldn't have pursued politics anymore because I would have figured out oh, that's not for me. Um, and, you know, who knows at that point, I'd been like, ah, you know, it's probably for the best anyway. And because uh, I, I really enjoyed my time, love my time in WWE, no matter what. Yeah. And you talk about that. I mean, the last couple of years, I mean, it's been five or six years now since you've been elected as the, you know, like I said, the mayor of Knox County and just the experience you've had doing that, how it compares to wrestling, any similarities, differences in your position and just how satisfying it's been for you. This is something you've always wanted to do. And uh, now you're in the position that you're in again, only an elite elite few former WWE superstars can say that just talk about that experience from the last five or six years and how that kind of is, like you said, the, gratification you get after everything you accomplished in the ring the you know it's cheesy but the smiles you put on faces for such a long time (laughs) you're doing that in a different way now you know as the mayor of knox county and just how you're affecting people in a bit of a different way than you were when you were in the ring yeah this again this is a great job uh it has its challenges and it has its stresses but nevertheless uh, it, it is a great job um and just feeling like i'm able to contribute to our community and um They'll make it a better place. Uh, and and really, I think that I have a unique advantage because of my background in WWE uh, is that you know, I, I can bring attention to 
of our community that a lot of people wouldn't be able to. And I can do some stuff that other people can't just because of who I am mm-hmm. uh, and just because of my background. Uh, and that's one of the things that, you know, we, we really try to do, uh, me and my team, is figure out ways that we can use uh, my fame and my celebrity from WWE uh, to help make Knox County a better place, or at least to bring some attention to Knox County, uh, which hopefully will make it in turn a better place. And I'm sure going off of that, that a lot of people in Knox County just see you as Glenn Jacobs and don't either remember or know you from your Kane days and just know you as their mayor. But I'm sure there's a lot of people that obviously remember you as Kane. When you go to like book signings and conventions and you do a lot of that sort of stuff in the last couple of years in between your obviously, uh, you know, mayor duties and stuff like that. Can you talk about how people are just starting to see you as Kane and that or I'm sorry, as Glenn Jacobs in that area? And they don't look to your wrestling past and how if that might be weird for you. If that's something that you're used to at this point. Yeah, it's something I'm used to at this point. Uh, but there are a lot of people <laughs> that still, I get called Mayor Kane all the time. Uh, and I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah. Um, it, it's a difference of, you know, but still, I mean, I think one of the advantages again, that I had coming from where I did is that I'm used to being in the spotlight and in the public eye. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually comfortable with that now. Um, and just the coolest thing, man, is to be able to brighten someone's day. And I said the cliche of putting smiles on faces and yeah, it's a cliche, but it's also true. And that's the greatest gift that WWE gave me uh, is the fact that, you know, someone wants to shake my hand and take a picture or whatever. I mean, we, I take it for granted and I'm sure a lot of other people in my position also take it for granted. Um, But that's a blessing to, to be able to bring joy to someone just, by taking a picture or shaking their hand or acknowledging them, mm. uh, that's, that, that is kind of a big deal. And whether I do it as mayor or whether I do it as Kane, uh, it doesn't matter to me. Um, and, and, and it is cool. And it's, it's cool to, you know, to go out and meet wrestling fans and to hear the stories. Um, and the thing is, almost everybody is super cool and just wants to tell you their story. story and in many cases, what you meant to them, especially mm. in their childhood. And I mean, that again, that's just something if you're not in my shoes, it's something that you just can't understand. And it's just incredibly rewarding. I mean, such a decorated resume, being a mayor, WWE Hall of Famer. And one thing a lot of people tend to forget, an actor as well, being in both See No Evil movies, See No Evil, See No Evil 2. And there's been so much lore around those movies. I personally love both of those movies, specifically that first one. There's such like cult classics all these years later. There's so many wild stories surrounding like the making of that movie and like ideas that went into it from Vince himself. Can you share stuff that like was may have been cut out? Like there is some wild stuff out there. I don't know how much of that you're privy to, though. Yeah, um, for me, that was it's just a job and showing up every day. And <laughs> yeah. movies are the most boring thing in the world to make because you show up, you do your thing. Yeah. Uh, it's hurry up and wait. Uh, and yeah, and then there's, you know, the creative stuff. And I wasn't really that involved in any of the creative things. Um, I will tell you that I prefer the live action of WWE to making movies. I'm sure. Yeah. It's just it's just a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but nevertheless, those are great experiences. Uh, and to see the creativity and uh, I came away with a new pre- appreciation for acting and um, that that genre, uh, well, that medium uh, after doing some movies because I'm like, man, how do these how do these people do that mm-hmm. uh, on a sound stage? It's very antiseptic. What you see 
on the monitor is not what you'll see on the big screen. Uh, and how, how do you do that? And, and, and who has the mind's eye that can put all that together? So very talented people, um, great experience. But again, I always prefer WWE. <laughs> I can see why. I mean, they're both great movies, but the instant gratification of the audience definitely doesn't get old. And speaking of that, as we yeah. wind down here, you've returned many times, Ken, over the last 25 years in your career. Do you have a favorite return to WWE? I think the one from 2000 stands out to a lot of people. You've only gone from the show for like two weeks. You come back and get a monster reaction, but you made a lot. Is there one that stands out in your mind? Yeah, that one also, um, actually also come in the corporate Kane deal. Um, mm, and yeah. you know, a lot of folks, not necessarily their favorite incarnation of Kane, uh, but it was shocking. It was surprising. And uh, I, it was just, again, it was different. And uh, it's always cool to be able to step outside of the confines of the character. Uh, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite parts of my career was with Daniel Bryan and the team hell no stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause if you look back and to say, 1998 and fast forward however many years 20 years and uh you know kane is going to be the comedic element on the show right no way um but that's <laughs> yeah. what happened so it's just cool to be able to do that and uh, i think really to be able to uh to destroy people's preconceived notion of of what you could do it's really cool yeah. And as we wind down here, last question for you, Kane. Uh, you talk about, I'm sure you've answered this before, any chance of a last match? The last time we saw you in the ring was during <laughs> the Thunderdome era, during COVID at the Royal Rumble. And obviously, even the Rumble are very synonymous. And you're very busy nowadays. But is there any chance? Do you feel like you've wrestled your final match? Oh, man. Never say never. That's a that's the big catchphrase in WWE. And it's <laughs> absolutely true. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what the future brings. But, Kane, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate the time. a, &E, a biography coming up uh, this Sunday, not on May 19th, but it's going to be March 12th, <laughs> and we're all looking forward to it. So, Glenn, Kane, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. It's been an honor. Thanks, Graham. Big thanks to Kane for the time. That was a real honor to speak with him. As I told him there at the end, you can check out the full written version of that article coming soon this weekend over on fansideofdailyddt.com and also the complete video version of that very interview over on my YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash WrestleRant. But now we throw it to Mr. Marceau talking all things from the past week in the world of wrestling. Mr. Marceau, brother, how you doing? Doing well, how are you? I'm doing great. I imagine you're doing even better. You were at Raw on Monday, dude. You were there for the show in Boston. Such a last-minute experience. We're going to get into that. We have a new TNT champion coming off of Dynamite last night. We had the Revolution pay-per-view on Sunday. We have Backlash out of the Puerto Rico coming up on May 6th, I believe, in early May. Bad Bunny hosting. We have a WWE departure. A lot of stuff going on, Mr. Marceau, as we rapidly approach uh, WrestleMania coming up in a little less than a month. Can't wait. Be, I'm, I'm actually really excited for the backlash announcement. It's crazy how much, like, I mean, I guess it's only been a year, but, I mean, they went to Montreal earlier this year. They went to Cardiff a couple months before that. Then they're going, right, like you said, to, to Puerto Rico, London, and then Saudi. So, I mean, they've had a lot of international shows, which I think is good. Um, I mean, obviously, selfishly, I want them to be close to us in the U.S. so we can go to them, but I also feel like it can be one of those things, like, how can we miss you if you don't go away? So. Yep. If we don't get as many shows, theoretically, you'd get harder crowds when you do get them around. So I think it's a little happy medium. Like I said, I'm also, I'm spoiled, so I want to I want to go as many shows as possible. But <laughs> I get going to different markets, you're going to get harder crowds. 
Like I said, how can you miss them if they never go away? Exactly, yeah. No, I mean, I know the uh, the Montreal trip of ours was a last-minute thing, but at this point, come Mania, I, I will have been at every major pay-per-view they've had for like the last like four or five months, which is completely coincidental. But just because either it's a big show or it's just been close enough, I've just gone to all the pay-per-views. Not because I'm a, I'm a roadie for the company. If AEW had closer pay-per-views, I probably would. I honestly probably would have gone to Full Gear a couple months ago if we didn't go to Survivor Series like a week later. It's just a lot of traveling, but uh, I will be at Mania, obviously. But <laughs> I just bought my ticket to Puerto Rico. Too. I'm going to Backlash and and in London and uh, Saudi because I I got to go to all their shows. I'll send you a picture when I'm there. Can't wait. But yeah, like you said, though, I'm really happy though that you know we heard rumors when Triple H first took over they were looking to expand their pay-per-view schedule, not in terms of the amount of un- not in terms of the amount of events they ran, but rather where they were holding them. And we talked late last year, like oh they could do all their big four and then a couple international shows because like like you said, it, w- there's literally a three month stretch where they're going to Saudi, London. In Puerto Rico. That's really fucking cool. And that's not to mention, like you said as well, Montreal for Elimination Chamber, which was perfect. It's, I mean, I'll talk about this in a second. But yeah, Montreal was great. And then we also had Saudi for a crown jewel a couple of months ago. Cardiff right before that. So already by near the one year mark, Triple H took over as the head of creative in late July. Um, and they were already doing some international stuff even before Triple H took over. Like, I mean, the Cardiff show was, you know, made official before Triple H took over. That was a Vince move. But by the time Triple H celebrates one year as the head of WWE or whatever you want to call it, he will have gone to, like you said, Saudi twice, Cardiff, Montreal, Puerto Rico, and, um, London. London. So that's six shows in the span of a year. That might be more pay-per-views internationally than there are domestically. I'm trying to think. When Triple H took over, the first show under his belt was Nashville, because we were there, obviously. Nashville, they went to Philly for Extreme Rules. They went to Boston, which we were there for as well. The Rumble, and they'll be at Mania. But that's it. Actually, that's five. So that's five shows. Um, and then in July is Money in the Bank, and then SummerSlam's not until August. So yeah, they will have gone to six different countries, continents, whatever, outside of the United States, and then only five shows domestically, which is pretty crazy. And I never thought we would get to a point like that, but that's pretty cool. Um, but what I was going to say a moment ago was the fact that all of these moves are logical too. Like, it, it's not just as if they're going to these different places. For every, I think, the, I mean, in Saudi Arabia, you're not going to put Mansoor in the main event of every show, but like those shows are contractually obligated to happen and those Saudi shows have been better. Even before Triple H took over, they've been better. But like for Clash and Cardiff, you had Drew McIntyre in the main event. Like you made the most of that and you had an amazing main event there and Gunther versus Sheamus, which worked even better in Cardiff than it would have probably most other places, though it would have been a great match regardless. Then you have in Montreal, Sami Zayn in the main event for the World Championship. Puerto Rico has just announced, not only are they going to Puerto Rico for the first time in nearly 20 years, which... For the, since New Year's Revolution 2005. I've seen that show before once on the network and reviewing it many years ago. I don't think I knew that it was in Puerto Rico. So that's pretty cool that they're going back there. I, I don't know if it's the same arena or not. But even bigger than the fact that they're going there for the first time in many years for a major premium live event is the fact that Bad Bunny's hosting. Bad Bunny's been... Uh, very much a prominent name in WWE the last couple of years from when he debuted in, in the company in early 2021. His debut match at Mania, which went over extremely well, one of the best celebrity performances I've ever seen. And then his Royal Rumble showing, 
you know, in January of last year. He's in the new video game. He's in 2K23. So I think Bad Bunny being a part of that show as the host is awesome. I can only imagine he'll be in the ring as well, right? Probably, as I tweeted yesterday, this is not a bold opinion, but I think it's pretty obvious, and how can you not do this? Rey Mysterio and Bad Bunny taking on the Judgment Day's Dominic and Damian Priest, assuming the Judgment Day feud does not end at WrestleMania. I think that match just kind of writes itself. That could be a great main event for that uh, that pay-per-view, honestly. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that uh, makes sense. I think that'd be a great match to do, and then from there you could figure it out. But um, yeah, like we said, the Saudi show, I don't know if we discussed this when it was rumored recently that that would be the King and Queen of the Ring show, that they were bringing that back. We had heard the rumors. They are officially bringing it back as a pay-per-view for the first time since 2002. So over 20 years later, finally being brought back as its own pay-per-view. It's going to be in Saudi Arabia, which is where the finals of the last King of the Ring and Queen's Crown were held in 2021. Uh, your thoughts on King of the Ring becoming a pay-per-view again and happening in Saudi over Double or Nothing weekend, over Memorial Day weekend next, uh, not next month, but in two months. I like it. I think it should have its own pay-per-view. I think they should lead, they should use Raws and SmackDowns to kind of lead up to it and build the tournament. But uh, yeah, I think it's a good idea. I don't, I mean, I don't know if it's the greatest idea to have the Queen of the Ring in Saudi, but I guess, hey, got to make baby steps somewhere, I guess. So, uh. I think it's a good idea, though. I like that that's kind of like the pay-per-view right before Money in the Bank and right in the SummerSlam. I'm not sure. Does the winning get you anything besides the dumb crown and the scepter? Like, I I don't think in the past they've gotten, like, actual stakes, but I think if winning, you should obviously get some kind of title match, obviously. The only time I remember them actually doing anything with that as far as earning you anything other than the dumb trophy, or not the dumb trophy, the dumb crown, like you said, was, I think, in 2002. Lesnar did not walk around with the crown and the cape and the scepter and that dumb shit. Um, sure? I remember Wade Barrett did. He had, like, a fucking toilet bowl on his head or whatever it was. Or R-Truth did. That shit was terrible. But Brock did, by winning that tournament, did earn himself a world title opportunity at SummerSlam against The Rock, in which he won. So, I think that's got to be another thing, too. It does have meaning, King of the Ring, to an extent. I mean, it was won by fucking Baron Corbin a couple of years ago. Who won it in 2021? Xavier Woods, which was cool, but he hasn't really he hasn't done anything at all. So I mean, it doesn't exactly have a lot of importance. Um, I would take it more seriously. Maybe give it to Gunther. Maybe if he wins, he gets a world title shot at SummerSlam. That would be pretty cool. Or in fucking London and Money in the Bank. I don't know. You could figure something out. Um, but I would be all for that, though. I feel like that'd be pretty sick. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, on the international note, it just came out last night actually from Fightful. Saray, I, I honestly forget how you pronounce her name, but the former NXT Sarai, women's... I was it Sarai? I think it was Saraya. I'm think I think I said Saray because I'm thinking of Saraya Page from AEW. I think it was Sarai from NXT. She debuted two years ago. Um, disappeared from the show late last year. She was repackaged after NXT 2.0 became a thing. We haven't seen her since August. I don't think her match was so long ago. Mandy Rose was still in the company, uh, but it's been so long, and apparently she's on her way out. Her contract expires in May. April, whatever, and she'll be back in Japan at that point. So um, I can't say this is too surprising of a uh, you know too surprising to hear. Honestly, it's a, it's a it's a loss because she is very talented, but I don't think she, they ever really gave her a chance to really show what she could do in the ring. I can't say it's a it's that big of a loss, but we haven't really been able to see how much she could really do and how much she can really bring to the table. Yeah, I thought from what we saw of her, she was pretty good. Um, when they repackaged her. Like, she was like a schoolgirl. I don't know. It was kind of confusing and weird, honestly. And then we really didn't see much of her after that. So I thought she was decent in the ring. Nothing like it. I thought she was overly amazing. But 
thought she was good. I was kind of surprised I saw that they let her go. But like you said, they also really hadn't done much with her the last couple months. So it doesn't overly surprise me either. Yeah, no, I don't know if it was a case. I mean, her contract's expiring, so it's not like they fired her. But, um, you know, I don't know why they wouldn't have used her at all. They have a lot of talented women down there. You would think she she could at least be used. Yeah, the, the split personality thing, I never really liked it. I think they tried to establish a character for her. I don't know. You know, I guess it was better than her just being out there doing nothing, which is what she was doing two years ago. She debuted in 2021 and then disappeared for a few months after that because they just had no plans for her. Tried to repackage her. I don't think it worked. She lost a lot, and that was about it. So, like I said, they never really gave her a fair shot. You can't say, oh, you know, she failed. I mean, they never really even let her try, and that was in NXT. That wasn't even on the main roster, so... A uh, bit disappointing, but hopefully back in Japan she can be uh, better utilized over there than she was in NXT. Um, let's talk about AEW Revolution. We'll save the Monday Night Raw stuff for afterward, which, like I said, you were at that show, had a great time. We'll save that stuff for the end. I thought overall Revolution was actually a really good show. Um, the inconsistent television they've had all year has not, I don't think, led to a, a great upsurge in buzz for the product. They had some really good shows early on in the year. They dropped down a little bit. The pay-per-view, I thought, was a nice way to kind of correct course. The show last night wasn't great. They do deliver usually their best stuff on pay-per-view, so there is that. Um, but honestly, I think above all else, before we get into the each match and stuff like that, I think the best part of the show was the fact that it was under four hours. It did not exceed the midnight mark, which not most most of them don't. But it also didn't feel that long because they only had eight matches on the main card, maybe one on the pre-show as well. Um and it just everything felt structured, and there was no filler. All the matches were good to great, aside from some stuff that we weren't a fan of, which we'll get into. But honestly, I think I like that. I think I like that about the show more than anything was the fact that it felt more streamlined, less bullshit um, matches. Not just getting people on the card just to get them on the card. I think the matches that matter most should be added to the show, and that was the case with this show. And I hope they follow that formula more often going forward. Would you agree? Yeah, I thought. I think we say this all the time. Uh, I think most of their pay-per-views, besides, like, I think it was All Out 2020, that, that was the one that was really bad, right? Yeah, it's, that might be their weakest one, yeah. Like, besides that, I honestly don't think I've walked away from one of their pay-per-views and been like, that's a bad show. I think most of the time they do put on a good show on pay-per-view, which, I mean, most people are paying, so I definitely assume that or expect them to have a good show. The problem is, realistically, is that the weekly TV just doesn't really match up with a show. So it's like, we get a horrible build led into a show that has great wrestling and good stuff going on, and then we just go right back to bad TV or stuff that just isn't like... like I think, so, like, perfect example, like, MGF and Dana Bryan, that was classic match. Brian Danielson, my bad. They had a classic match, yada, yada, yada. Like, they started off with the Iron Man match. Like, imagine if they built it up through, like, a singles match and it happened to go, like, 60 minutes and MGF fucked them to win, and then Brian Danielson comes back after him and says, you know what, actually... You screwed me. How about we do an Iron Man match and lead it? Like they literally skip, di- they literally skip dinner and went right to dessert. Like, yeah, I feel like with that match, like it was an amazing match, but like how, we're not going to get. We realistically shouldn't get anything after that because they already had this like the big stip match. I wish they kind of built that match more because what they were doing on TV was kind of like eh. But the match, I figured the match would de- would deliver and it really did. But I just feel like the TVs don't really match up with how good the pay per views are. Yeah, especially the Builder Revolution was not strong at all. I mean, I think some of the the pay-per-view builds have been better. Um, this one specifically was just very forgettable. I mean, we talked about it the last couple of weeks. We really haven't spent a lot of time talking about AEW in the last couple of months because I just feel like the show, either not a lot happens 
or if anything happens, a lot of what happens on the show, or at least happened going into Revolution, had nothing to do with the fucking pay-per-view. And I know there were eight matches compared to the usual 15, um, but, like, when you have random, like, I, I enjoy, actually, I know you don't, but, I, you know, I've enjoyed the Orange Cassidy matches and the All-Atlantic stuff and whatever. I've actually really liked those matches. But he's on the show every week. It's like, this has nothing to do with the pay-per-view, though. Like, I'm not saying everything on the show has to do with the pay-per-view, but when a majority of your show does not really sell me on your pay-per-view, that's not that's not good. Um, but I thought the show itself was great. The main event, let's get into it, honestly. That was the biggest part about the show, and we'll work our way down from there, I guess. Um, it was the Iron Man match, as you mentioned, a terrific match. I thought the build, honestly, to me anyway, I thought was the better part of the show going into Revolution. They established more of an issue. Brian had to run the gauntlet against a variety of opponents. The MJF formula of having to beat X, Y, and Z is fucking stupid, but you know, hopefully we can move past that. Um, the match itself was phenomenal. And, and Iron Man matches, it's an exciting stipulation, but I feel like they have the tough time sometimes of remaining interesting for the full time limit, especially if it's 60 minutes and not 30. Um, there can be periods where it's boring. And honestly, that's part of the reason why for as great as the match is, I feel like Sean and Brett is sometimes overrated from WrestleMania 12. Don't tell anyone I said that, but I feel like I just, that's not a match I would go back and watch often because there's not a lot of exciting parts. And I know it was 96 and it's a different time and whatever. I understand that, but not even by today's standards. I just don't think it's a legendary match in the way that people make it out to be. This, honestly, this match can be this for this company, and I feel like it accomplished so much, not only just in terms of being a great match, but I feel like, and I'm curious to get your take on this, in being a turning point for MJF. Uh, As someone, and we already knew he could go, but I feel like this has got to erase any doubt that this guy is as talented and as skilled and as, as excellent in the ring as he is on the mic. Um, this really showed that the guy's capable of great matches and that he doesn't need to wrestle weekly to prove that. I feel like this was honestly a bigger performance for him. We already knew Brian Danielson was one of the goats, but I feel like this was a match where Danielson did not carry him through, but I feel like this was more important for Danielson or rather for MJF to really prove that he belongs at the top of the food chain in AEW, and I feel like he did just that. No, yeah, I agree. I think it's one of those things I think the AEW fans in general have underrated him. Obviously, you don't see him that much, but I mean, MJF as a whole, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw a bad match that he had. I mean, he stole the show uh, with Darby in 2021, I believe, at full gear. Like, yep. that match was amazing. Um, his matches were with, with Jericho, even though, whatever, that, like, those were good. His matches with Hangman were good. Punk. Um, Punk were good. I mean,. He Moxley, really hasn't yeah. missed yet, and like even the Cody match, I wish we kind of got more out of that. That was kind of a, a one and done. But I mean, from seeing from where he's gone from there, I I I, I mean, the sky's the limit at this point. I think he's been a great champion. Obviously, he hasn't wrestled that much, but just every time he's on Bay of Review wrestling, you can just tell how good this guy is. And it honestly kind of solidifies to me, at least, if they can't re-sign him, they might be in deep trouble. He's a fucking star, and at this point. He's the only really homegrown star that they have. Besides that, it's all old WWE retreads, basically. They really need to re-sign him. Because even people that don't watch wrestling that I know, like, text me, like, oh, what's up with this MJF guy? Like, people know who he is. Mm-hmm. Like, he brings buzz, and it is what it is. But if they can't re-sign him, I think that would be a huge, huge loss. He's actually on Impractical Jokers tonight, too. He's actually making an appearance on that show as well. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, do you th- I've seen speculation from a few people that 
they didn't know if they would put the title on MJF if he hadn't already re-signed, not maybe not re-signed, but at least signed an extension when he came back in the fall. Do you feel like that could be the case, or do you are you adamant that when he says his contract is still up on January 1st or whatever it is, 2024, that that is indeed still the case? Or do you think he might have signed an extension? I think it's he's still his contract's still down at that point. Do you feel the same way about FTR? Because I've seen the same speculation about them. Uh, I mean, I saw speculation they re-signed, but then I've seen other people say that they haven't. So I know Dak said that they haven't, but I mean, he also could be, you know, doing the character stuff. No, so I, I mean, I think MJF, I think he might have got more money in the extension, but I mean, I feel like he keeps, I keep seeing stuff of him saying that he wants to leave in 2024 WWE. I don't know if it's just the work or stuff, but I mean, now that he has a championship, like, I don't know. I just feel like, I feel like they couldn't, even if he was still... Even if it's still he's up at the end of the year, I feel like they they would still have that time. They still would have to put the belt on him. If not, he wouldn't be on TV at all. I feel like, but I don't know. I I, I guess we'll see. But I have a feeling it's up. I, I, for what he says, he he would technically be like lying to himself. Like he's like, oh yeah, I'm waiting for 2024. Like he has all the leverage now. So theoretically, if that's what he's looking for, like that's that's like the perfect scenario. He's won the belt. He's one of the most over. He's the most over person in the company, like draws ratings, draws merch, does all that stuff, gets a reaction, da da da. Like in 2024, like he can literally wait. Like I'm the biggest person in your company, and then going to WWE, like I can bring all this to you. So it's like I feel like as a businessman, which seemingly seems to be a good one, that'd be the the correct thing to do if you were really interested in just the money portion of it. Yeah, and he's in a prime position. But do you think Tony Khan would put the belt on him, knowing there's a chance he might not? Resign, but I listen. I agree with you though. I think he is still up on January first. I feel like he would be foolish, regardless of whether he won the championship or not. Because let's say they didn't put the belt on him, and because his, he, because he's like, I'm not signing an extension. Let's say he stayed adamant about that, and they kept it really quiet, and we just don't know about it. Um, regardless of whether if they didn't put the belt on him, I feel like they would almost be forced to because the guy's the best part of the show. What, are you going to keep MJF off the show for a fucking year until his contract expires? That makes no sense. They're not going to fire him. They're not going to relegate him to the mid-card. They can't bury him. I mean, that that doesn't even make for a good show. I mean, the guy's that good where that wouldn't even make sense. But like you said, too, I don't think just because of the fact that he's champion, that automatically means that must have that means he must have re-signed. I mean... Not necessarily. I mean, his contract isn't up for another 10 months. They can easily put the belt on him now through Double or Nothing or through All Out or whatever it might be. And then he can always lose the title of Full Gear or whatever it is. And then you're right. I think I feel like regardless of whether or not they put the belt or Tony Khan told them they would put the belt on him back in the fall when he came back, I feel like you would be foolish to resign at that point because he would be throwing away all that leverage money, like you said, from WWE potentially offering him the world to go over there. I know we, I know the report came out from Fightful. Oh, we told the WWE guy, oh, I'll see you next year. I, I feel like that's a fucking work. I feel like he works everyone. Um, but I feel like you would be foolish to not explore that option, though. Same thing with FTR and same thing with Brian Cage. Same thing is being said about him right now, too. No, exactly. I feel like, especially if you're him, like I said, he is the guy, like... You'd be a fool to re-sign when going when he was hot at that point, but now he's even at a hotter level. Even if, like you said, even if they take the belt off him in the next couple of months, the next six to nine months, like he still had the championship. He literally was must see TV while he was champion. You can't, you can't like, you can't make those accolades go away. Like even if you take the belt off him, don't push him, whatever. He is what makes a lot of people 
specifically like myself and other people that like like yeah we're more wwe people but like he's one of those people that i watch dynamite weekly just to see him like him ftr a couple other maybe some other old wwe people but also some some AEW people as well but like he is like one of the only AEW people i'll go out of my way to watch just so i can see him because he's that good so i i, I think it'd be a mistake to resign because like i said now he's at his peak I mean, at that point, like, maybe they knew he was going to get to this level, thought he'd get to this level, but, I mean, the guy's fucking amazing. No, he's fantastic. He's killing in his current role, and I think, uh, again, he already had a lot of great matches under his belt in this company, but I feel like that match on Sunday should really put that conversation to rest as far as whether he can actually go in the ring and he's just a fucking Miz with the t- I mean, give me a break. I mean, the guy is incredible in every aspect. Uh, I'm, I'm not super high in some stuff that he does. Honestly, I was in the minority of people that didn't like the, the, the water thrown to the kid. His response at the press conference was funny. I just, I just don't like that sort of stuff because the kid did nothing, and it's also a child, and I feel like that could be turned into an assault thing. Listen, I know it's like, oh, that sounds soft and whatever. I completely get that, but I don't know. I wouldn't do that personally, but he also likes to push the boundaries and use the excuse, well, it's a character. I wouldn't do that. If it was a fucking adult and it was it was some guy being a mark or whatever, I feel like that's within reason. But with some random kid just sitting there, I mean, that's just that's kind of just being an asshole. So other than that, though, I think the guy's uh, killing it right now, and I, I love his current work. Um, that being said, who do you think lies ahead for MJF? Having beaten Brian Danielson, retained the title against him. He's already beaten Ricky Starks, a winter is coming. He's been champion now for almost four months. He's with only two title defenses under his belt, but I feel like he's just getting started. I feel like there's so many more people he can face from a Darby Allen at some point to a babyface Adam Cole. You can revisit the Wardlow feud at some point. Even Jack Perry has a one-off match on Dynamite. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of people you can have him defend against. It's more a matter of who you have him face next, and to me, I feel like the answer is Hangman Adam Page. Yeah, I mean, I think he has a lot of opponents he can face. Seemingly, I think, theoretically, Paige should be the next person. I mean, just beat Moxley. I mean, they did tease him kind of thing on, on, on Wednesday, so hopefully you don't get that, the Moxley and Paige kind of re- continuing, but I think realistically, as on a, as a babyface right now, Hangman would be the perfect next opponent for MJF. Yeah, they'll probably... I would say that for double or nothing. Um, I mean, I guess you could do it on TV before, and then, but then what do you do with double or nothing? Do you do a rematch? I guess that's possible, but... That might explain why Hangman is still doing the Dark Order, Blackpool Combat Club stuff. Uh, Not a big fan of that, just if only because I get that a multi-man match would make sense between the two factions. But then it's like, okay, is Blackpool Combat Club going to win? And then does that negate Paige's victory on pay-per-view? It's kind of weird. For as much as I love that main event, I'm not saying... I mean, I guess you could say it was awful. <clears throat> I just think in my opinion, I'll say this, I'll word it this way. I did not like the Texas death match with Adam Page and John Moxley. And I thought that response from Ryan Satin was pretty fucking dumb, to be honest with you. Uh, he was responding to Raj Geary. And Raj, honestly, like, if he was shitting on it, he didn't even say it was terrible, though. He just said, this stuff is not for me. That's essentially what he said. Um, the guy has an opinion. You don't have to like his opinion. If you like the match, cool. He even said, oh, you like people stabbing each other with forks, then more power to you. But it's not my cup of tea. And then Ryan Satin is like, oh, then why do you watch it? You're always complaining. What a fucking dumb response. That was really, really stupid. Um, I can't say disappointing because I've seen him say silly stuff before, but I saw that. I'm thinking, what a dumb thing to say. Just because the guy has an opinion. I don't like it either. If he doesn't think, he didn't say it was awful. I mean, even if he said that, that's his own opinion. 
Um, it is a very subjective type of wrestling. I know you don't like it, and I don't really like it either. And like I told you before, I feel like my biggest problem with shit like this is the fact that they do it so fucking often that it means nothing. That's the problem with this shit. It means nothing. They bleed every other week. They do hardcore matches every other week to the point where it doesn't mean anything. I probably would have liked Paige and Moxley more if we didn't see Moxley bleed a gusher five days earlier against Evil Uno. I just thought that was completely silly, but I, I know your opinion of this match kind of lines up with mine. Oh, my God. The Texas death match was just honestly terrible. I can't even... I hate the whole, like, if you don't like it, don't watch it. Like, I'm watching the pay to watch it. But I still can have the opinion that this match is fucking terrible. And basically, I feel like stuff like this is what makes people not want to watch. It was, it was just, it's just a car wreck for a car wreck, bleeding and stupidness. Like you said, we saw the same thing on Wednesday night. And also them bleeding all over the place like that, like literally killed it. Like MJF and, and Brian, imagine how much more that would have meant if, if they didn't just see a gusher before. So I feel like Tony Khan needs to like rein them in a little bit. Like if you know you have a main event, that's the reason people are buying this Bay Review or going to the show. It's basically drawing the house. Like, let them do the blood. Like, when you see it on every match leading into it, it doesn't mean much. It just, and it's just, it's the worst thing ever. They kick out of everything, got bricks and barbed wire, and it's just, it's just awful. And it's, it's, it's just, and it kills everything for the show. You basically see, like, how can you believe someone's going to get, get, like, any maneuver, how can someone kick out of a... How can someone not kick out of a maneuver when these guys are, like, hitting each other in the heads with bricks and shit? Like, it just kills the business, and I just think it's trash. Yeah, and then these people are right back on TV a couple days later. Like, they're stabbing each other with forks and using the bricks. Remember Keith Lee got attacked with a brick by Swerve? He was off the show, I know, with a real injury, but in storyline, he was off the show for two months or so. And then these two are using bricks on each other, and they're back like a day later. It just doesn't make any sense. I thought the match was like, I, I, I like the feud, and the fact that they're not feuding over a championship is refreshing, but I, I also don't like the excuse. Their, their big excuse is AEW's big excuse, is it's a smorgasbord of wrestling. There's something for everyone. Do you need something for everyone in every fucking show? I just feel like that's such a lame argument. Because I feel like the people that would like the deathmatch stuff would probably like the stuff that we like too. Not everyone likes the deathmatch stuff. That's pretty fucking divisive. The Iron Man match. If you didn't like the Iron Man match, then I, I, I don't want to call you dumb, but I, I question your taste because that was one of the best matches I've ever seen, uh, especially Iron Man match, especially in this company as well. But anyway, the, 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 the hardcore stuff, it has a place in wrestling, I would say. I don't think that my biggest problem, like I said, I feel like they do it, they just do it so often, it means nothing. Moxley bleeds so often, it means nothing. He's literally just the deathmatch guy at this point. It's so disappointing because I feel like he brings so much more to the table than just bleeding every week and doing the hardcore deathmatches that really just don't accomplish anything. It just means nothing at this point. Yeah, I'm so out on Moxley, it's not even funny. I, I feel like he's just terrible at this point. He's just a deathmatch guy. He's basically an AEW version of Nick Gage at this point. Basically, yeah. He's trash. It just—I honestly feel bad. Like, how is this guy employed with WWE? Guy literally since he's gone to AEW is just gushers and hardcore stupidness. I That's just, because they I reined him in, though. That's because they kept him limited to the, the non-bullshit. I'm not saying you can't do this stuff ever. I'm just saying, like, we never saw Dude, this. Dude, every week with this guy. Yeah, yeah, every, yeah. I'm surprised he didn't bleed last night. <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's no reason to, but he always finds a way. That's because there's no one there to tell him, hey, you probably shouldn't be doing this is the problem. 
I feel like that's a big issue with AEW. And again, I could be wrong. I don't work there. I don't know Tony Khan personally. But I feel like with a lot of stuff I see on the show, I'm all for creative freedom. But I feel like a lot of these ideas are presented by the talent. And Tony Khan doesn't want to... And he does say no to stuff. We've, we've heard stories about that. He has, out, he has come out and said certain things. I feel like he doesn't say no enough. I feel like these ideas are pitched to him, and he's like, okay, cool, if it makes you happy, then do it. Okay, but that doesn't make for a good television show more often than not. I feel like that's the case with that. I feel like that's the case with a lot of what a Jericho Appreciation Society does. Does Tony Khan really think that's a good idea at this point? I mean, I feel like it's just the Jericho vanity project, and he's just kind of letting him run the asylum. Of course Jericho's not going back to He said the other day, oh, I'm never going back to WWE. First of all, he will, uh, if only for a Hall of Fame induction. Second of all, why the fuck would he? He gets all of his ideas approved by Tony Khan. Every single one of them, Tony Khan approves for the most part. Every single one. I'm shocked they didn't run with uh, Jericho, wanted to work with Sonny Kiss when Sonny Kiss was still a bigger deal at that point a couple of years ago. I'm surprised they never ended up doing that. They give Jericho pretty much everything that he wants, it seems like. Again, I don't work there. I don't know that as a fact, but that's my own speculation. You could say the same thing for the the current women's storyline, the spray paint. Does Tony Khan legitimately think? He's not a dumb guy. He's on Twitter constantly. <laughs> Uh, this is my own opinion, but I feel like he's not a dumb guy. I feel like he's on Twitter a lot. He sees what, maybe not what you and I say specifically, he sees what people like and what they don't like. And if they don't like something, and they, the AEW, for the most part, has done a decent job. If they know something's not working, they switch course, for the most part. But I feel like with that women's storyline, we'll get into it in a second, the spray paint is fucking dumb. I don't see a single person saying it's good. It's stupid. But I feel like it's probably a Soraya idea, and he likes Soraya. Let's let her do what she wants, because she would have gone to WWE otherwise. So let's let her do the spray paint thing. She probably thinks it's an amazing idea. It sucks. And it's not, oh, you don't like it, so she's a heel and a mat. No, that doesn't, that's not, that doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. It's channel-changing bullshit. Uh, would you, I, that's a long rant, and I apologize, but just wanted to get that off my chest. I don't know if you agree with any of that at all. No, I think the whole, like, NWO, women's, Soraya, Tony Storm, Ruby Riot thing is awful. I don't think anyone thinks it's good either. I think adding Ruby Soho to the heel group, it makes sense. I actually like the promo. I think she's better as a babyface. And listen, she lost all credibility as a babyface. She lost every single time whenever it mattered most. Every fucking time. So her turning heel doesn't really bother me, although she's a better babyface. Uh... I just don't think this storyline is currently worthy of a women's uh, blood and guts match, which is probably where this is headed. I just don't think this storyline is hot enough. The Ruby Soho thing, honestly, was probably the best thing hap- to happen to this storyline because Soraya and Tony turn heel for literally no reason, and they're not even really good in their roles as far as the spray painting crap. They were spray painting Willow and Sky Blue last night. Oh, it was just, it's awful. It's terrible. No, it's terrible. I, I, I'm, I just, I'm so out on that as well. The whole Soraya thing. I feel like looking back, I don't know what her contract is, but she must have made out like a bandit because I'm not a fan of her run at all. No, it's, it's been very underwhelming so far. I thought she had one of her better matches in the triple threat, though. Definitely her best match yet in AEW, which isn't saying a lot. The bar is pretty low, but um, I thought it was a very well-worked match with uh, Soraya. You had uh, Jamie Hayter in there and Ruby Soho. Jamie Hayter walking out still the champion. Any thoughts on that match? That was a good match. Uh, nothing like overly great, but... Uh, obviously right result. I thought Hater should have retained. You kind of got me scared. You said Soraya was going to win. I did. Thank goodness that didn't happen. But uh, no, I thought it was a well-wrestled match. Uh, probably Soraya's best match she's had in AEW so far. So I guess that could be a positive. But 
No, I thought the right result. Nothing crazy, nothing nothing overly bad either. You could say that about a lot of the show. I feel like we got the right result in, in pretty much every match, including in the trios match, which I know you didn't care for. I, didn't, I mean, at this point, I'm kind of in the same camp where we see the Elite do the same stuff every week with no real story at all. I don't care. Um, I thought it was an entertaining match, but do I? am I going to go back and watch it at any point? No, because we see the Elite matches. They're the exact same thing every single week, every time. And I guess you could say that about most people. I guess Danielson follows a formula too and people like that, but I don't know. Just the elite stuff, again, you do it so often it doesn't mean anything. Um, but at least they lost their trios titles to House of Black. They are the current new trios champions for whatever that's worth. I mean, if they lost here, they were done. So I feel like that was the that was the right result as well. Yeah, I thought it was the right result if they lost. I mean, they might as well just packed up their bags and went home. I think as a group they have like they have something there but just the whole cinematic like spookiness and like lights on lights off stuff just i don't know even with bray Wyatt, i'm kind of over that stuff so i'm glad that they won but we have to see what's going here i feel like it all depends like all these people get the belts and i feel like they honestly get like less push than they were before so we'll see what happens they have a title match next week on dynamite but i mean if they retain there who else they're gonna face top flight and and AR Fox, I mean, there's not really too many teams. Yeah, not only that, but you also have, um, you mentioned the, the, the lights out stuff. They turned out the lights last night, I think a total of four times. They turned out the lights when the Elite came out, when the House of Black popped up on the screen, when they showed up on the stage, and then when they disappeared. Literally four times. And all I can think is pay your fucking light bill. I mean, this is ridiculous. And people react less and less each time. It's, it's stupid. No worse than when Sean Spears would come out and the lights would go out, and it would be Sean Spears when the lights came back on. That was pretty bad. Um, this isn't much better, though. So we had that. Uh, speaking of teams, we had the tag title successfully defended by the Guns. Actually, a very good match. I hated the interference. It was just so lazy, and just I don't like that stuff. All the smoke and mirrors crap. Uh, when the Guns won, it was kind of comical how, how, how hot the crowd was during the match and how quiet they became when the Guns won. That was funny. Uh, post-match, the crowd came back alive when the FTR made their first appearance since December going right after the guns, and they established on Dynamite this week. They want those AEW World Tag Team titles back, so it goes one or two ways. They either get back the belt, and they're you know, they're still here. They, they re-sign if they haven't already. Or if they don't win, then I think that kind of paints it, paints a picture makes it pretty obvious Then they're not staying in AEW. Either way, I'm intrigued, and I think I don't really give a fuck about the guns, but this is the right direction to go in, and I'm glad they're doing it. Yeah, definitely in the right direction. Love FTR. I mean, they got a massive pop here. Not surprising. I mean, like you said, kind of the, the the it's just if they win, they're staying. If they lose, they're not. So I guess I guess we'll find out then. But uh, no, I, I was happy to see them back, and the crowd was as well. We had Wardlow winning the TNT title from Samoa Joe, and honestly, it was probably to me the weakest match on the show. I know you could say the Texas Death Match, but that that's just the, the hardcore crowd. Not counting that. As an actual match, this just wasn't overly exciting because we just got done watching the Texas Death Match, actually. So the crowd was exhausted. Um, didn't really sound like they cared. And I like the story they told here between the two guys coming into the show. I don't know. Just wasn't uh, just wasn't anything special. I guess it would have been a much better match if we didn't already see everything under the sun prior to that point. But it was a decent match. Wardlow's reign was short-lived, though. His reign was quickly ended two days later, or three days later, rather, on Dynamite by uh, Powerhouse Hobbs, which I'm all for. We literally texted, you texted me last week, there's no chance Hobbs wins the title, right? And I said, yeah, there's no chance. I'm Honestly, I'm glad to have been wrong. I'm not going to sit here and complain because Hobbs won. I'm very happy Hobbs won. What I don't like about it was the fact that I thought they had a great match. 
Hobbs was over. Wardlow had a great showing. They were having a really fun main event. You had QT Marshall in there. I guess the idea was to protect Wardlow and defeat. I'm not even opposed to that idea. It's the problem that two things. One, Hobbs doesn't necessarily need a manager. And if he does, QT Marshall is an awful fucking fit. I really hope that's not where this is going. QT Marshall helping Wardlow, uh, rather Hobbs, win the TNT title. I'm so beyond done with QT. He seems like a nice guy and whatever, but the factory crap was terrible. That Cody feud sucked a couple years ago. He's a heat fucking vacuum. Uh, Please stay the fuck away from Powerhouse Hobbs. I mean, I cannot be more out on that if I tried. Yeah, honestly, it's funny that you said it because at first, like, when I saw the chair come and hit him, I thought it was uh, Samoa Joe. So I'm like, okay, it makes sense, you know. Samoa Joe cost a worth of the belt. And then it was QT. I was like, oh, my God. And I just didn't care. I'm glad for Hobbs. I kind of just feel like it's just like he came out of nowhere. Like, they did the whole book of Hobbs thing. I may have missed stuff on Rampage. But then this went from that to he's in the ladder match to winning the ladder match to, to beating Wardlow here. Yep. But, uh. I thought the match, like you said, the match on Sunday was just kind of there. I thought that was kind of some of the matches. Like, they were, like, decent matches, but it was kind of, like, just something you probably see, like, on a Dynamite. Nothing, like, overly great. The crowd was also dead because, like you said, they just saw the death match. So, that definitely didn't help them as well. But I thought it was a good match. I thought that we were getting into the next Wardlow um, brain, I guess you'd call it. And then he lost the next, he lost the next defense, so... We'll see here. I don't love QT with 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 uh, Hobbs. I think Hobbs is good on his own. We'll see where it goes from here. I feel like we might get a lot of Hobbs on Rampage, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, that TNT title so far has been more of a curse than anything for a lot of the people that have held it. I mean, like I said, I think before we hit record here, it's changed hands five times in four months. I'm not saying everyone needs to hold it for six months, but... You know, the Joe Reigns were great, short but sweet. The Darby Allen reign was short but sweet. Wardlow's second reign was three days. His first reign sucked. He did nothing as champion. It, it cooled him off considerably. Um, the Sammy Guevara reigns were terrible. The Scorpio Sky reigns, if you can even remember them, were terrible. Who? Exactly. Uh, Corp- Cody Rhodes held it for like a month. The TNT title has not really meant anything, I would say, since probably Miro held it two years ago. It's not been overly treated as anything important since Miro held it. Before that, you know, Cody Rhodes and Brody Lee, they had some decent runs. Darby Allen had a great first run. Um, they need to do a better job of, of protecting that title and doing it more. I mean, it's it's main evented a couple of Dynamites, which is great. I just don't think that it really... Another title change, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, Hobbs winning it is great, though. I just don't like the Marshall shit because he's very... Um, He's just, he's abysmal. Just, just please do not put QT Marshall at fucking powerhouse obs. That makes no sense. Let's move into Raw for Monday, Mr. Marshall. You were there. Just give me the overall experience for how it was on Monday night in Boston because it came off like a great show and one of the better ones in, in quite a while. Oh, it was a great show. I had a blast. Um, no, I thought it was a really good show. That the crowd was pretty much into everything. I mean, we were just in Boston a couple months ago for... For uh, Survivor Series, and I felt like they just picked up right where we left off. I mean, I think, I would say it's usually always a pretty good crowd to begin with. I feel like they're one of the smarkier, or just more into crowds to begin with. But, I don't know, They were. it also was a stat show, so it definitely helped in that aspect too. But, I mean, Rollins was super over. That whole Logan Paul segment was great. The Usos and, and Sammy and KO was great. Um, just, I feel like the show was a solid, even... Even though the throwaway matches like Corbin and Gable, 
the Niven and uh, Nikki Cross matches. Like, obviously, people weren't like going crazy, but like, even Piper Niven got like a little cheer, and I feel like people were kind of even not overly into that, but like they actually like gave it some credit. It's not like they just sat in their hands totally. So, thought it was a good crowd. Thought the show delivered. It's definitely the first kick off the WrestleMania, and I. Just so glad I was in attendance for it. Yeah, no, it came together completely last minute, but I'm, I'm glad you're able to go because it's turned into a really fun show with a hot crowd to boot. It wasn't just the show itself, but you guys in Boston were a really, really hot crowd, which was great to see. Uh, it was not a night of great, overly memorable in-ring action. Uh, we got some decent, good matches. I thought Owens and Sokoa was was good. I enjoyed Sammy and Jimmy. I thought even Johnny and uh, Balor for the time they were given was good. None of them really reaching that next level, but that's not what the show is about. This show is all about setting the stage for WrestleMania. Uh, we had, I think, three matches, actually. Three matches made official for WrestleMania. Um, Edge and Balor was not made official, made official, rather. That should be made official next week on Raw when Edge calls out uh, Finn Balor. But we did have the six-woman tag team match made official. It's going to be all of damage control against Becky, Lita, and Trish, which I love. That's the match we said a while ago should be at Mania. Uh, Ronda, I know, is hurt. But I don't know how serious it is to the point where I don't know if it would keep her off of Mania. It doesn't really bother me either way. But it looked like before she got hurt, they were setting them up for something in the tag team division. I've said this before, and I feel like the idea still could work. You could do a multi-team match with or without them on night one. Winners get a title shot on night two. And that's where they win the titles. I don't think Lita is walking out of WrestleMania weekend with the tag team titles. I don't think she's around for a full-on fucking run. Not that the titles really mean much anyway, but they'll probably do that. So I'm glad they made that match official. That's a WrestleMania-worthy match. We also have Logan Paul and Rollins officially made official for WrestleMania. Great segment there, like you said. The Logan Paul heat was real. The Rollins babyface pop was even more real. Um, He was mega over in front of you guys in Boston. That was great to see. But the match we were all expecting to be made official, and it was, maybe not in this fashion, though, was the United States Championship match. John Cena... Austin Theory, WrestleMania 39. We got to the destination, but the route they took to go there, I know I already ranted to you about it before we hit live here. I ranted about it on Twitter. the other. I mean, I didn't really rant it. I just kind of voiced my concerns. Um, I won't go too much off on it here because I've already spoken my piece for the most part, but I'll just say this. I just thought it was incredibly fucking dumb to do what they did with John Cena, and not for any one particular thing, but the way that he literally, and we don't use this word lightly, completely buried theory on the mic and maybe just because i see theory as a potential star if you don't like theory that's fine you, you thought it, you loved the promo because you fucking hate the guy for personal reasons because you don't think he's exciting that's completely valid honestly um i just think the idea that what they did was beneficial in any way shape or form is completely counterproductive to what they're trying to do with theory regardless of whether he wins or not i mean if he wins if he loses, that's even worse. But even if he wins, I feel like, in short, more needs to be done to make Theory a threat to make this promo worthwhile. Otherwise, this is going to be a massive turning point for Theory For theory, where his development just goes down the toilet. Because I don't know what the fuck they were thinking with this promo. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big Theory guy. Like you said, a lot of people might not be. That's your opinion. I think this guy, 25 years old, he's got the look. Got the mic skills, got the in-ring action. Easily can be a star of the company. We, we're, we're thinking about it. You know, I said this a couple months ago, him and John Cena, we, we kind of poo-pooed it for a little bit because he kind of was like lost his footing for a little bit. But, you know, we get back on track. He lost the briefcase, wins the money in the bank, or wins the United States champion. Everything's going well. Has a couple good matches with Bobby and Seth. Defends, keeps defending the belt. 
we get to this moment. I'm like, all right, this is going to be good. You know, they're going to have probably a good back and forth, lead to the match. And Cena fucking buries this guy. You can say what you want. Oh, they did it with Roman. Dude, Roman was, you said it, and I'll say it here. He was way more over than Theory currently is. Yep. He had wrestled in main events at WrestleMania, was a world champion, had run the Royal Rumble. He was basically the guy, and still is to this day. But it's just not the same. Like, Theory has to, like, kill, like you said, he has to basically kill John Cena at this point. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to lead into, like, the more aggressive side of Theory that we saw for, like, a hot second, and he kind of went away from it. Like, I don't know if, like, next week on Raw he's going to fucking put Dolph Ziggler in a wheelchair or something, but, like, we need to do something because people are, oh, he's going to win. Dude, it doesn't even matter because Cena already told us that he wins. It doesn't matter because he sucks. And that the only reason he took this match is because he said he was going to give up on the fans, which is just dumb to begin with. I just, I don't, didn't like the promo. I thought Theory looked like a fucking idiot. And Cena's buries the guy he had no comeback and then after that he introduces cody and just makes theory look like a bigger piece of shit i just i hated it i almost hopped the rail honestly i was getting hot just standing there i just i just don't understand someone that's potentially the future of the company and just do that to him like you said he could win i just i don't know like like you said he would have to kill him like after Cena said that it didn't matter if he won because no one cared about him. Like that, that was it. That was like the chapter books ended right there. Like unless he kills him. Yeah, no, he literally said, and, I, and people were trying to tell me, well, what he meant by that was was that you know he would go back out on Raw on Monday. They will eat, will eat you alive. Okay, but that he still said the same thing though. I mean, we were all watching the same show. He literally said. If you lose to me, you lose everything, which I'm not exactly sure what he loses because Cena already said he sucks and said that he has no credibility, basically, so I'm not really sure exactly what he loses. Um, but then he also said, if you win, you also lose everything. That sounds pretty self-explanatory to me. I mean, this idea that it's like, oh, this is what he... No, no. He, the, the idea of the match should be to put over theory. That why would you do the match unless to put Theory over? Clearly, he's going to win. I'm not stupid. If Cena wins, this whole... Uh, people making excuse. Oh, well, it's okay if he looks good in defeat. Listen, I was in that same spot. We had a conversation, dude, here on this show, what, a month ago? Two, three weeks ago about how I thought Cena could beat Theory and it would be okay. The game has changed, my friend. The game has changed. <laughs> it is a completely different scenario. And I'm not backtracking on that. It's just not the same thing anymore because I didn't think Cena would come out here on the show and completely destroy the dude. He said no. He did not want to face him because he sucks and he said no one cares about him and they pipe in crowd noise during his matches, which... I don't think it's true for Theory. It's certainly true for other people on this show they may not want to admit, but it is true for him. So, I, I, I mean, I'm sorry, it's not true for him. I apologize. It's not. I've been to enough shows I could tell you it's not true for him, but even if it was, I'm not really sure why you would point that out and bury the own, your own product. That's a little weird. Cena's not around, but I don't know, man. Cena is, he's the guy. People will take what he says seriously, and perception is everything. Why would, why would we as a fan want to see Cena face this guy that you just said is not worth your time and that you just said isn't good and that you just said is, um, you know, he doesn't have anything. He, he lacks credibility and he's a loser and despite the fact he's the champion, which he completely buried the fucking title, which made no sense. The man just beat five other people inside the elimination chamber and you just said no one cares. Give me a fucking break. 
I mean, honestly, that's more of a knock at the company. If you're saying that no one cares about Theory and he's getting pushed to win these many, this many matches, I don't think that really falls on Theory. The, the company's at fault for the ones that are pushing him, but I know we're kind of blurring the lines between reality and fiction here. I get that. I just feel like it was so counterproductive because it's not as simple as people think as, oh, Theory can just beat Cena. I don't think so, and I don't even think Cena would even hold his hand, like, uh, what, raise his hand, as people said? I mean, Theory wouldn't even accept that. I mean, isn't he supposed to be a heel? That doesn't make much sense. Theory has to beat him decisively. I mean, he would have to straight-up squash him, in my opinion, to make this worthwhile. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Theory is done, he's finished, he's buried. The cash-in was pretty fucking dumb, too, and they came back from that. I'm just saying I am very, very, very skeptical, and this is what my tweet said for word. You can go back and check it out word for word. I'm skeptical that Theory could be done and could be finished depending on how this is followed up. And I understand the notion maybe it was done to fire up Theory. They've done this shit before with Roman Reigns, like you said. Roman Reigns was the same fucking person before, after, and during that promo from John Cena. That promo changed nothing. It changed nothing. Roman Reigns is in the position he is in now because of Roman Reigns. It did not wake up Roman Reigns. It did not make Roman Reigns better overnight. Roman Reigns was still the same bland, boring performer pre and post Cena promo. Cena did fucking nothing to help put over Roman. I mean, he he lost to Roman. Cool. People still fucking booed the guy. It didn't matter. With Theory, he's not even on that level. You don't even have... And also, Roman Reigns was the one who buried himself. He, he was the one who forgot his line. Cena didn't really do much more than what Roman's already did. Theory didn't even really have a chance to respond. I mean, you could say, oh, they have to, it's, it's, it's a wait-and-see approach. Time will tell. Oh, my. I mean, with this nonsense, like, it's not a... I mean, it is a wait-and-see approach, but these people are giving Triple H and this company too much credit in this circumstance. I mean, that was insanely fucking dumb. I mean, I'm not really sure why you would do that other than the idea is, oh, no one cares about him, but if he beats me, then people are going to care. Then why didn't, he didn't say that. That's not what he said. He said people will, will not care. And that's what Cena says. What Cena says goes and people will believe Cena. And he points at the fact, oh, you, you come out with glasses and you dress like a loser. At that point, then he's got to scrap the gimmick, right? I mean, unless he comes out this week kicking babies and stuff. I mean, he has to switch up his gimmick again. And this gimmick was, an, it's not like he was making fun of the selfie crap. I mean, that shit was undercard nonsense. He's not doing that anymore. What he's doing now, oh, he's generic. Okay, I listen, I understand why people would say that, but the, the fact of the matter is what WWE has done with him on the last couple of months has worked. It's not like he gets no reaction. He's been made to look like a mid-card scaredy cat heel, chicken shit heel, I get that, at certain instances in recent months. They started out by making him more aggressive, and then he wasn't again. I don't know, man. I just feel like this is really dumb. And if they just have him beat Cena and then go back to facing Akira Tozawa on Raw, again, nothing was accomplished. It does fall on theory. He has to rise to the occasion. I get this. He's not completely, you know, clear in this. I mean, he needs he needs to also rise to the occasion. I'm just not really sure why they would completely... To, to say that people don't care about someone, that's even worse than saying that no one likes you. That's even worse. In reality and in wrestling, and you don't hear that shit often, and Cena's never really said that, unless it's true, and it's not true about theory, but it might become true because he said it, that makes sense, so I agree with you wholeheartedly, I thought this was a trash approach to build up this match. I'm still mad to this day, I mean, this is three days later, I'm still pissed about it, I just, like you said, I don't know if it's more to just like, like you said, because the whole like aggressive thing like happened, and then it kind of like went away after he won, so maybe it's like, 
he rested on his laurels because he like won the belt back and then he kind of like lost that mean streak but like even then like like you said he made fun of his gimmick like i don't even think his gimmick's that bad honestly like i think he's a good looking heel like he, he's in shape like i don't like uh, I think what he has now is good. I think it's a lot better than what he was doing before and just leaps and bounds where he was when he started on the main roster three years ago. So I, I didn't really understand their approach. He said maybe he's going to get more of a mean streak. But after Cena said if he beats him, it doesn't matter. I, I, like I said, unless Cena raises his hand after like a Rock and Cena from fucking 29, I really don't understand what else he could do. I mean, what is he going to make out with him and endorse him, like, just by, like, completely putting him over, like, adopting him as his own child? I mean, like, what are we doing here? I just don't think beating him, after that promo, I don't think beating him is enough. Because you just said people don't care about him. What's going to make people care about him? Beating you? You just said that doesn't matter, so I don't think so. I'm in the minority in this. I know we're in the minority, so I'm kind of talking to a wall here, but there were a decent amount of people that agreed with me online when I spoke out about this the other day. Um... More than I thought, actually. I just, I don't know, man. I just think pointing out people's weaknesses like that when they are valid. Cena, a lot of what Cena said was true to an extent. Not the part where I think he said that he sucks. I don't agree with that or that no one cares about him. I also don't really agree with that either. Um, I just, people remember that stuff. And it just, and then it'll cause fans to sour on these people because they take what they say as, you know, as gospel. I mean, with Adam Cole, what he said about Cross wasn't exactly untrue, but if you're pointing out all his all of his weaknesses, then it's like, oh, you know what? Actually, you're kind of right. Like, he's actually not that good. And you know what? He kind of actually is an entrance. Why would you say that about someone that you're trying to build up? That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I thought the approach was garbage. I mean, I was already looking forward to the match, but uh, I thought that was really counterproductive. I don't know. For a guy that is not established, it's not the same thing as Roman Reigns. The guy, they are in two different careers. Roman Reigns was going to be over no matter what coming out of that Cena program. And that Cena promo did not fix Roman Reigns. People remember it because it was entertaining. They don't remember it because it helped Roman. It didn't help Roman do shit. I mean, Roman was still doing the same bad promos at that point. Didn't accomplish really anything, honestly. Um, they thought people would, like, he endorsed Roman and he's the guy. He wasn't, I mean, he was already the guy. Roman Reigns was already the guy. Dumb. Anything else to say about this, though? I. He better win. That's all I got. He fucking better win. And he has Cena to win decisively, too. Cena can't take another one. And he has to win decisively. Very decisively. Very decisively. I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't do it again. I can't. This, this is like bringing Bray Wyatt shit. And I think Theory even has a brighter. I can't do another Cena loss of Mania. I can't. Nah, I just... Even if he wins and he blows Theory after the fact, it doesn't matter. He needs to win. No, yeah, no. Cena winning and then what? Raising his hand after the fact? That does nothing. Oh, my God. I'm having night terrors thinking about it. It's, it's all about the aftermath. We say it a lot. I should get it on a shirt, but it's all about the aftermath and how they handle Theory from here, how they handle him next week, the week after. The guy needs a strong rebuttal. A very strong rebuttal. He needs to beat the fuck out of Cena before Mania. The problem is, I'm not sure if Cena's going to show up again before WrestleMania. We have, what, three Raws left, I think? He's not advertised for Raw on Monday in Providence when we're going. He's not advertised for, I don't think, any other shows between now and Mania. They might have filmed something between Theory and Cena. I heard a couple of months ago they might air at some point. Beyond that, there might not be many, many more Cena segments, if any more Cena segments between now and then. Theory needs to come out and really cut a great promo. None of this scripted crap. Like, he really needs to come out 
and show that he's worth this push. Because if he's not, they're just exposing him as being weak, getting buried, and then we're wasting everyone's time. So I see, again, what what exactly is accomplished, I don't know. So like I don't said, know. It would have to be like a mean streak. And like I said, just like the next, if you're not getting any Cena, it's just him like, like I said, like destroying, just destroying baby faces and just be like, oh, like you think I'm fucking this? Just like kill Dolph Ziggler, kill Mustafa Ali, like just run through all those lower baby faces, just like beat the living shit out of them and then like cut great promos. That's all I can think of. If Cena's not going to be around, that's basically how you build them up, like. That's all you can really do, right? Yeah, between now and Mania, you don't really have a choice because if Cena's not there, other than cutting promos, then he needs to go out there and show more of a mean streak and, and show that Cena's words affected him. Because it comes down to the booking, too. I mean, they booked this promo. I don't know if Cena went in the business for himself, but WWE must have approved the promo, so they clearly were on board with that. It, I don't know. It, it, yes, it, it's like it's like when a, a babyface gets attacked before a pay-per-view. Okay, you'll make up for it by them winning. This was a pretty deep cut, though. This wasn't just, oh, you know, we took one, then then Theory will get his, he'll give Cena his comeuppance next week. It, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. After a promo like that that I don't think people will forget, um, I feel like you need to do a lot to convince people that Theory's a big star. I think he can be that guy, so people might question, then why are you worried? Because what Cena says goes. It doesn't even matter sometimes how good Cena might be. Or I'm sorry, how, how good his opponent is. If Cena says the guy sucks, then to a lot of people, he's going to suck. Regardless of how good he actually is. That's just how it is, and that's how it's been for... In years past, Cena has done this before, but not often not often lately, and especially not to someone like an Austin Theory, where he was like, oh, you know, you don't have potential, you're awful, whatever. Very weird. He was like, oh, I'm the ghost of your Christmas future. It's like, okay, but how can he be the future Cena if you just said no one cares about you? It's very weird. Very weird. Um, hopefully they can correct course with this and I can be proven wrong. I would love to be proven wrong here, but I was still not overly satisfied or convinced that what they did on Monday was the right way to go. So we'll see how they follow it up in the coming weeks. Any other notes from Raw, Mr. Marceau, though? No, I thought, like I said, I thought it was a good show. I thought they set up a lot for Mania. Even to yourself, I'm glad we're getting that at Mania. I mean, that's the match I wanted, and I guess that's what we're getting. Hopefully it's just a weird transition to get there, but, uh, no, I thought it was a solid show. I thought the Sammy and Jay stuff was fucking amazing. I was a little hot. I almost hopped the rail there, but I love Jay, so I, I kind of let it slide. But uh, no, I think we still have some onion, some layers of onion to peel off that as well. I mean, maybe he just did it to save his brother, and he's still not fully with Roman. I feel like we still have some more layers with that story, which has just been amazing to begin with. So uh, no, no, I, th- I thought the show was good, and I think... It's, I think, WWE right now, a show, especially a show like that. Raw's been, like, eh, lately. SmackDown's been pretty solid. I think that's a good good start to, like, kind of... I feel like WWE right now is hot. I mean, it, it, it sounds corny, but I feel like they've had good shows lately. Mm-hmm. The Elimination Chamber is big. Raw Rumble is big. We're starting our, our trek to WrestleMania, which seems like it's going to be a great show both nights. And it just is what... It's hot right now, and I think they're capitalizing on the momentum. I hope so. This was a big show. They needed the show to really deliver to get people more excited for Mania. I think it worked. Um, they need to follow up on this, though. They still got three Raws left. SmackDown's been largely solid with the Bloodline stuff. That really is what carries the show. Um, but Raw needs to pick up the pace, and they did on Monday. Now you need to maintain that momentum and the remainder on the road to WrestleMania. And it continues next week in Providence, Mr. Marceau. You go to your second straight week of Raw. We will be there in Providence to enjoy the show. They really haven't advertised much. Um, I don't know if it's going to be as exciting as when you went on Monday, but I'm looking forward to it regardless. No, yeah, 
can't wait. I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited for Raw on Monday as we uh, head on closer to WrestleMania. More thoughts on that and on-site report from Raw here on the show next week. AEW thoughts and so much more. New episodes every single Thursday. WrestleRant.com, WrestleRantRadio.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Podcast, Podbean, Amazon Music, and Pandora. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. Uh, be sure to check out new episodes every single Thursday. Great time as always, Mr. Marceau. Can't wait to see you on Monday, brother, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Later, man.